Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Hi, good morning, and it's good to be here with you today. We are trying something a bit new at Riverside. We're actually meeting as a church, but we're also putting our message up online as we've been doing for the last few months. How are you coping with this uh, pandemic? I've been challenged over a couple of things during this pandemic. I don't know about you, but I've been watching the news, and that's probably not a good thing sometimes because... I've noticed it's been affecting my blood pressure. So I've been challenged, and I want to challenge you this morning about what does Christian maturity look like? Can we define maturity? If so, how do we measure it? Can it be measured at all? Now, the Bible tells us that God looks upon the heart. He ignores all the outside stuff. He ignores all the masks that we put on, and he looks deep, deep, into our souls because he really, really knows us. And the Bible talks about that when we come to our faith in Christ, we begin as babies. But then, like all babies, we have to grow up and mature. And some make better progress than others. But the point I want to make is, how are we growing? Do you know that you're growing? And if so, how do you measure it? Because the important thing is that we do keep on growing as Christians, that we continue on to maturity. And of course, it's important (coughs) that we're going in the right direction. So I want to ask the question today is, what is the most important aspect of Christian maturity? What is God looking for in us? Yes, you got it. Love. The most simple but most profound song that's probably ever been written. All you need is love. Love is all you need. Now, whether we admit it or not, we all need love. I looked up the definition of love, and I have to say I wasn't totally impressed with it because it's, the definition in the dictionary was love is a deep feeling of affection for something or someone we find pleasure in. It can be a deep physical attraction. But I think love is more than feelings and emotions. Because as human beings, we can be very fickle. And our feelings and emotions can change like the wind. We all have needs. And the greatest of these needs is love. They've done studies and they found that babies who don't receive love don't develop. And I've had first-hand experience of this when, on a trip to Romania, we visited an orphanage. The staff were totally overwhelmed with the number of children and babies that they were looking after. They didn't have time to pick them up and show them any affection. We saw babies sitting in cots, just rocking, because emotionally they weren't developing. Yes, they were getting bigger physically, but emotionally, they were stunted. You see, we all need love. And when someone loves us, we feel valued. 
significant and secure. That's why falling out of love or being rejected is so painful. Being heartbroken is a real thing. It can be excruciating and it can leave us depressed, lonely and feeling worthless. I had a friend who got engaged and love was all around. It was poetry in motion. He and his fiancée were just lovey-dovey. But then one day he made what he thought was a funny remark about her. Um, And that didn't go down too well, as you can imagine. So words became louder and angrier, and then there was silence, and then there was a handing back of the ring. And my friend came round to see me, and it's probably the first time I'd ever seen a grown man cry. He was absolutely devastated and distraught. He hadn't meant to hurt her, but clearly he had. Well, I was able to act as peacemaker, and the two got back together, and I'm happy to report they lived happily ever after uh, once they got married. Love is so important because God is love. John in his first letter sums it up like this. He just says, God is love. If God is love and God is the most powerful being in the universe, then love must be the most powerful force in the universe. From the moment God conceived the idea of creating a physical universe, there was no limit to what would emerge. God is love because in God there exist three equal persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They jointly, they created light and matter and all manner of living things. The sea, the sky, the land, the animals, the birds that fly in the sky. It was an amazing act of creation. Now Genesis is not a scientific paper on how creation happened in a physical or mechanical sense. Whether it took seven literal days or not, that's not the point. The point of the story is to tell us that God created everything out of nothing and that we are part of God's creation. The story of creation reveals God's pleasure in the act of making new things. And every time he makes new things, he sees that it's good. And then eventually he makes Adam and he makes Eve and he makes mankind and he sees that he's very good. And God's love and passion for creation is seen in this story in Genesis. His making of us as mankind was the pinnacle. Now what love he had for them, he gives man and woman equal authority to rule over all that he's made. God had created and the job of Adam and Eve was to represent God's creation, to wash over it, to nurture it, to look after everything that had been made. All the planet was at their disposal. And it's sad to recognise that down the centuries and years and millennia, God, man has not made a good job of caring for the world. Man has exploited the world. He's used its resources. Greed and the need for power and influence and wealth has meant that we have ripped into this world. 
species are declining at an alarming rate, as we're hearing. We're seeing a declining evolution, not the thriving world that once was. God's creativity real, revealed his passion through the diversity of species, their colours, their form, and their exotic creatures. When I learned to scuba dive just over 20 years ago, nothing could prepare me for the experience that we eventually had. We started off in the Faversham swimming pool, a most uninspiring place to go underwater. We practice our skills. We then went on a trip overseas to Malta, where we completed our diving qualification. Now, Malta was great, <coughs> but the water was cold. And I have to say, we did see stuff. We saw octopus and various other marine life, but nothing that was to prepare us for what we eventually encountered when we dived in the Red Sea. There, we saw such amazing diversity of marine life. We saw corals, we saw colour. There is amazing colour down there and most of the people in the world never ever get to see this amazing part of God's creation. We saw turtles, we saw dolphins, we saw sharks. We just absolutely had an amazing time. You see, God shows his love in the amazing creation that he's put together for us to enjoy. Now man's failure to steward the world and its resources flows from what theologians call the fall. Adam and Eve had this awesome relationship with God. Jesus, the human form of God, walked with them every evening as they shared the events of their day. I expect they were like kids in a sweet shop. Every day, something new to discover to share with God. Of course, God already knew all about this because he'd already made it, but I think he just entered into their joy and passion of finding things anew. He took pleasure in their discoveries as much as they did. And back then there was only one rule, just don't, just look, there's a lovely tree here, it's got lovely fruit on it, but don't eat the fruit. It was a very simple rule. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve, through temptation, broke that one rule. And in that single moment of breaking the rule, their intimate relationship with God was shattered. They had this new knowledge of good and evil. And what it led them to was an understanding that they could keep rules or they could break rules. And unfortunately, they continued to break rules. Now, have you noticed that when somebody says to you, don't do that, don't touch that, or don't say that, there's an immediate temptation to want to do that, to touch that, or to say that. It's kind of our human nature. And children growing up display this very evidently. It's a trait that sometimes gets them into trouble. Hard lessons are learned when you say, don't touch the fire, but a child reaches out its hand. Now, I remember seeing this lesson displayed quite dramatically when my brother took a nail and inserted it into a plug socket. Don't touch took on a whole new meaning as he flew across the room. So how are you doing with social distancing? Now, we're a church that likes to hug, but times have changed. 
it's difficult, isn't it, when you see people that before you'd wrapped your arms around and now you have to keep your distance. In the early days when we went into lockdown, I guess because of fear and maybe the terrible death rate that we were seeing every day, compliance to the rules was high. But as time's gone on, it's become increasingly more difficult for people to keep the rules. I think that's partly down to the mixed messages coming out from the government. They're very unclear on times. But it's also down to human nature. We're not always great at following the rules. And as we enter into this second wave of the virus, the government is struggling to get the level of compliance up to contain the virus. Telling people, including students, not to party is like Canute sitting there and saying to the tide, don't come in. And reading that story, Canute got very wet. It's going to be a struggle. And God has seen how humanity struggles to live in obedience to his rules. Rules that are designed for our good and not to oppress us. God is love. And his love never fails. It never fails to want the best for us. For thousands of years since that moment of disobedience, God has been working on a rescue plan for all people across all times, across all nations. No one is excluded from the plan. You see, this is the big Bible story. It's about God's plan to rescue us and to bring his creation back into the perfect state that God always intended it to be. You see, the world is messed up because we're messed up and we continue to mess up. Following that fall where Adam and Eve and the shattered relationship with God, things went downhill all the way until there came a time when God chose a man. His name was Abraham and he's called the father of promise because every nation was to be blessed through him and his offspring. He was also a man of faith. His faith in God made him right with God and faith plus obedience was there for him to have this relationship with God. God promised him a son. Now Abraham wasn't perfect, he tried to solve the problem himself, but eventually God kept his promise and Abraham had the son Isaac that was to be his heir. And then God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and in obedience to him he goes up a mountain and he's about to kill his son when God says stop. God was testing him and Abraham proved that he had faith in God. And as we move on with the story, we haven't got time to go through the whole of the Old Testament, but God brings a nation called Israel out of Egypt. And it's a people he loves. It's a people he wants to bless. They are are the apple of his eye. They are his treasured possession. And when they are obedient to him, his blessing flows. But when they disobey, he disciplines them. He gives them the law to help them to live in a way that will show other nations what it is to serve a living God. And the law was given just to actually show how to live. But what it did was it brought into stark focus the sinfulness of humankind. 
And instead of people coming to God and following him by obeying the law, all it did was to highlight the gulf that was between us and God. But God knew that. And down through the centuries, quietly, patiently, God gives prophecies about a coming Messiah, a coming King. The one that would bring salvation to all the world, not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. And God's plan was for a perfect man, who was also God, to live a perfect life so that he could die for us. Jesus was the son of man, but he was also the son of God. And he came to a humble birth in Bethlehem. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. We're coming towards that time where we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate the advent of the coming of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that God so loved his world that he sent his only son into the world to save it. He came to show us not only how we should live as human beings, he demonstrated that humility, obedience, compassion and generosity and faithfulness. He showed us how to live as God's children, as kingdom people, so that we could do the things that he did. And he had compassion to help the poor and the sick. And we as Christians should be doing the same. We should be following his example. The word Christian means little Christ. And as we live as Christians, we are to be conformed to his image. He came to serve, not to be served. So although he was very God, he came in humility to live amongst us as a man. And we too are called to serve. Jesus came to live for us, to die for us, and to save us. We are people who like to do our own thing, have our own way, and do the things that we think we should do because we know best. Do you know best? It's like, you know, you go to Ikea and you pick up this flat pack furniture and you take it home and you rip off all the packaging and you dive straight in. Instructions, who needs them? Well, actually, most of us do. And God has simple rules. Love me, love others. And the Bible gives good guidance of how to do this. But who needs the maker's instructions? Well, it turns out, we all do. God in love sent Jesus to lead us back to God and his ways. Jesus went to the cross, not only in obedience to the Father, but because he loved us. At any time, he could have called a legion of angels to take him down from the cross. But he continued on the cross because he loved us until he gave that final cry, it is finished. And he gave up his life for us. And Jesus saved us by dying upon the cross. All our wrongdoing, all our unloving ways were placed on him. And he took the punishment that we deserve. But being God, although he died as a man, death couldn't hold him. 
and he rose again. And that is the most amazing truth about the Christian gospel, the good news, is that we follow a living person. Other religions, they worship dead people, but we worship a living saviour. And he rose again to life so that we could be sure that by putting our faith in him, we too could have eternal life. And God invites one and all to come to him for forgiveness and new life, a new way of living, to enable us to live his way. And Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell within you and he is going to give you the ability and the desire and the passion to live for me. And God wants us to do that, to follow Jesus because he has a plan for us because that plan of salvation to save the world is still going on. And as we become part of God's family, the Christian community, we become part of the rescue plan. We're the search party, looking for the lost, for the poor, the lonely and the distressed. We do this empowered by the Holy Spirit who pours out love without measure into our hearts. We are the people who love God and love one another. We have a hope that is certain and we want to offer that hope to any who will listen. And that hope is for eternal life in an age which is coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And it's promised that when Jesus returns, he will restore all things to how they should be. All of creation will be renewed and the world will be perfect as it was meant to be. And we will get to live and enjoy the perfection of that recreation. It's going to be very good indeed. And that's why Christians should be some of the most joyful people on this planet. Because they have something real and tangible to look forward to. Now to love God is to obey him by doing things his way in all aspects of life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 about the overriding need to be someone who loves. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Way back in the third century AD, somewhere in the Middle East, there was this city and a plague came. It was devastating to the population. The rich people in the city quickly deserted it. They probably had second homes to go to. The city was divided up into ethnic and religious sections and slowly those people that could began to leave, leaving the poor and the sick behind. But the Christians did the opposite. They stayed. They nursed the sick. They nursed the poor. And it was noticed that far fewer Christians died of the plague. And their act of compassion (coughs) became famous. It spread throughout the Roman world. 
they were defined by their love and compassion and not their fear. You see, as Christians, <coughs> we're defined by how much we love or how little we love. And Christian maturity is all about how much we love. And the more we love, the more like Jesus we become. Now we live in times that are marked by division and increasing intolerance in our society. Now there's Brexit, there's gender identity, there's left versus right, there's woke versus being asleep. Now I have no idea what that means, but there you go, that just shows how antiquated and out of date I am. Divisions are driving fear and hatred. Social media is fueling anger and vitriol. When anonymous, anonymous people seem to lose their social inhibitions and they let rip into other people saying the most terrible, terrible things. And people are being vilified and isolated and feeling left behind or left out. You see, passions, I just see them, they're running high. Anger and hatred are fueling intolerance towards those not in our tribe. But you know, as Christians, this is not the way of love. For us, we need to be defined by love, not hate. Good, not evil. We should check that our opinions are godly, formed by our understanding of a loving and just God. If we express our opinions, we need to do it with humility and gentleness. Yes, we need to speak the truth in love. The Bible tells us that a gentle word turns away anger. So as we form our views and we form our opinions, do we allow for an alternative view? Do we think that we have to be right? And do we value being right above being in loving relationships? And the Bible challenges us to disagree, but still love one another, to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, for us as Christians, patience, kindness and humility flow from love. If God loves people, then we must still love them, even if we don't agree with them. And that can be challenging. And I've had experience of that down the years. People have not always agreed with my point of view. But I've had to make a decision to continue to love them and care for them and treat them well, despite the fact that we're on opposite sides of an argument. And I just want to challenge you, if there's anybody you've fallen out with over these last few months, is there anybody you've kind of got distant from because their views of the world doesn't match your view of the world? Well, the Bible says, be quick to mend fences and to restore relationships. If it's your fault, apologise. Say you're sorry. Saying sorry is not always the easiest thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. If you've been wronged, forgive them. Well, how many times should we forgive people? Well, Jesus said it's 70 times 7, but what he really meant was you go on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving because that's how God treats us. And Christians should be marked out by the act of forgiveness. 
It's a choice that we can make every day to forgive and forget. Not to have a little black book where you list the people you want to get your own back on. Of course, we love what is right and we want to see things right. So if we see an injustice, we need to be part of the solution, not the problem. God is love. It is the very essence of his being. From love flows justice, righteousness, holiness, purity and light. And if we live in love, we live in the light. We can see clearly. We can judge correctly. We're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when we choose not to live in love, it's like walking in the half-light. And we can miss the Holy Spirit's prompting. And the more that we move away from love, the more we move into darkness. And of course, if you find yourself in that place where you suddenly realise that you've fallen out of love with somebody that you should be loving, then you need to come to God in repentance and say sorry and say you failed. And God will forgive you and restore you. And he will heal you and he will pour his love in you and you so that you can go and love that person you know the very essence of sin is not to love because if the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love people then the essence of sin is when we are unloving but God has this endless supply of love that he wants to pour into our hearts How do I know that God has this endless supply of love? The Bible is clear that before God said, let there be light, he knew us and loved us. He delighted in the anticipation of your arrival on the earth. He planned the circumstances of your birth. In the womb, he knew you and knitted you together. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And that can be hard if your birth or upbringing was not easy. But be assured, God loves you and always will. The knowledge of this incredible love can free us from the traumas of the past. I read a book by a guy called Henry Nguyen. He was a Dutch Roman Catholic priest. He was also a professor, a writer, theologian. His interests were primarily in psychology, pastoral ministry, spirituality, social justice and community. For two decades, he taught at some of the most prestigious academic institutions, including the University of Notre Dame, Yale Divinity School, and the Harvard Divinity School. Ewan went on to work with individuals with intellectual and development disabilities at the Arch Daybreak community in Richmond Hill, Ontario. He was assigned a man called Adam Arnett, who had profound despair developmental disabilities. Nguyen said, it is I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit from our friendship. And he wrote a book about his relationship with Arnott, and that book is entitled, Adam, God's Beloved. God's Beloved, what a lovely expression for a person that some would consider to have been a mistake. Henri was actually humbled and shaped by his interaction with Adam, 
the daily care of this human being who revealed so much of humanity in his disabled body. It was truly a relationship that really shaped Henri's life in his later years. You see, God loves everyone, no matter what, no matter what their circumstances, no matter who they are. And he loves them whether they seek him or not. If you're a Christian, you were loved before you gave your life to Christ. Such is the depth of God's love that whilst we were far away from him, doing our own thing, living our own way, not his, he still loved us. Once we've come to him, we are welcomed like the prodigal son in the parable that Jesus told. Our heavenly father rejoices in our coming back to him. He's eager and ready to forgive. He has such love and grace ready for us. He loves us before we start on that journey of loving him. And hesitantly at first, and then perhaps with a greater awareness of how much God has done for us, of his grace and his goodness, we begin to love him. We begin to love him more deeply. And we follow him more closely. And we find that the rules are for our good. They're not there to oppress us. He loves us with an unfailing love and faithfulness towards us. And even in those dark moments in life when it is really tough, we can rely upon the fact that God really loves us. He knows what we're going through and he loves us and will sustain us. You see, our maturity is measured by how much we love. When we can love the unlovable, then we know that we're making progress. So as followers of Jesus, let's make love our highest goal. Paul tells us to put on love as a garment so that we can truly be disciples of Jesus. Let's focus on loving God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Let's love them with all our hearts and all our minds and all our bodies and all our strength and energy. Just let us overflow with thanksgiving and worship. Give thanks for everything and submit yourself to God's good and perfect will. Love creation. Seek to steward resources well. Recycle. Good thing to do. Support activities that preserve nature, habitats and wildlife. Engage as far as you're able to reduce climate change, because that is a real and present danger. Love and appreciate the beauty of creation whenever you can. It's great, isn't it, to be able to walk down to the seafront and just wander along the front, taking in all the beauty of God's creation. Or go to Clouds Woods and walk there in that perfect nature setting. All around us, there is nature for us to enjoy. Make love your highest goal. Love your neighbour. You see, go out of your way and perhaps out of your comfort zone to know them. Do it sensitively and prayerfully. Those around you are the ones that you're called to demonstrate love to. But that requires you to give up time. Use your resources. Don't be selfish with the time that you've been given. But use it 
to bless others around you. Love the stranger. When we go out on street passes, we've, we've started doing the patrols again, and we come across people who are homeless. And we want to bless them, we want to help them in any way we can. We perhaps get them some hot food, get them some hot drink. You see, we're invite, we're called to love those that we don't know. We're called to invite those people to a meal who can't invite us back. And if you know of somebody who's lonely, befriend them, spend time with them, love them, be a blessing to them. Not only that, but be a blessing to your community. Always be cheerful and considerate, kind and patient. Remember, your actions reflect on Jesus and we are to represent him well. I can't conceive on how we can be miserable, bad-tempered and call ourselves Christians. That really doesn't reflect who Jesus is. Love those in need who are far from you. Support a charity that helps those in need, if you're able to. Charities like Tear Fund, Christians Against Poverty, Christian youth organisations, Help the Family, Grassroots, to name but a few. Let your life be filled with love every day, overflowing with joy of the Lord. There will be days when love will be a struggle, when life threatens to overcome you, but look to Jesus. He is the example of love. Look to your Heavenly Father who cares for you deeply and look to be filled again with the Holy Spirit so that the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. Love never fails or gives up. And maturity is to love beyond our capability. Trusting in the fact that God will continually refresh us with his love. And the Bible says the measure we give is the measure we get. The more that we love, the more we will be filled with love. The more we will experience God's love in our lives. To be filled with love, we have to love extravagantly. So take aim, aim high and make love your highest goal. And may God bless you with his love today. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.